0: The Guardian.
1: Police were called to Whitehaven at 10.35 this morning after shots were fired by a man. I can confirm that the body of a gunman has been found by the police.
2: What made a lone gunman embark on a horrific series of shootings in Cumbria? I'm John Dennis at the Guardian's HQ. Today we hear how taxi driver Derek Bird opened fire at scores of people before his body was found following a major police manhunt. I'd like to appeal to members of the public with friends and family in the West Cumbria area to ensure that they are safe and well. If you cannot make contact with relatives or you are not sure if they're safe, please contact our helpline.
3: And I'm Michael White in Westminster, where David Cameron has just been answering his first batch of Prime Minister's questions.
1: So many other European countries recognise marriage in the tax system, and yet we don't. So this is an issue I believe we should bring forward, uh, proposals to recognise marriage in the tax system. It's proposals that in our our happy coalition they will have um, the right to abstain on, I'm happy to say.
2: First, our top story, Derek Bird's killing spree in West Cumbria. At the time of recording this podcast, 12 people were known to have been killed. A further 25 were injured. The Guardian's Helen Carter reports from Cumbria.
4: Well, it's rather extraordinary. At 12 o'clock it emerged that there had been a shooting of at least one person in Whitehaven in West Cumbria. And then as the day unfolded, there were more and more shootings reported. There was one in Egremont, um, several in C-scale and then police um, said that the person who was believed to be responsible for the shooting derek bird was was on the on the run, and they were trying to capture him so there, there was this extraordinary scenes in Cumbria where people were being told to stay indoors, so you know it 's like half term very busy and popular and sunny at the moment with families and things and hill walkers and cyclists, you name it. And uh, people were being told to stay indoors and keep off the streets of Cumbria. That was for several hours until they found his body. So it was absolutely extraordinary. Derek Bird
2: worked as a taxi driver for many years. He was well known among the local community. What do we know about him?
4: Um, We don't know very much about him other than he was well regarded in the community. And um, he liked motorbikes, I know that much. And he worked as a taxi driver. I think he had a Picasso type car. That was the car he was in today. And um, he's 52 years old. But, you know, there's nothing, nothing about him. People didn't know he had guns. That's, you know, some of his friends have spoken to didn't realize he had guns, but very, you know, no one, no one has a bad word to say about him.
2: As the drama unfolded and, the, and as the manhunt um, was taking place, the the Sellafield nuclear plant was shut down. Helen, yeah, a, a it very was locked
4: dr- down for several, which is uh, absolutely extraordinary. But if, you know, if, in the circumstances, it's probably prudent if you've got a man who's shooting people randomly in the face as he as he drives around Cumbria. It's probably a very wise move to uh, to shut down Sellafield because if you'd have if you'd have got in there then it would you know it would have been absolutely disastrous.
2: Helen Carter well bodies were strewn across a wide area as the gunman drove off in a dark grey Citroen Picasso an extensive police operation ended in some woodland near Boot where Bird's body was found Sean King is landlord of the Boot
5: Inn. Within moments I got a phone call from the police saying that uh, he was heading this way they thought and we should try and get people off the uh, off the road and, and, and into the building. So we just went ahead with that and and and, and got people in.
2: Well, what did you say? Did you just literally go out into the street and say, "There's a gunman on the loose. Can you come into the pub right yeah, away?"
5: Yeah, we, we just said we'd we'd received a phone call from the police advising us that uh, it was a dangerous situation and that we needed to get people into the pub. Um, and there's children with them and things, so we're trying to be a little bit delicate um but then yeah let them know that there was a there was a gunman on the on the on the on the run here and it shot people and by that time we would kind of had one confirmed death in Whitehaven, and we'd heard rumors about um one of the shootings in c scale is uh, a friend of mine from the pub just up the road and uh and it all got a lot more worrying and the, the helicopters were circling for about an hour they never went away sometimes they came lower and uh, yeah, all a bit worried that he could pop out from anywhere. The police obviously had him kind of trapped in, in in the woods around here. um And then we heard a shot about two o'clock and everything suddenly kind of finished. The seeking the, the sea helicopter landed in the field just a couple of hundred yards away from us and the, the ambulance and the police all turned up there and, and then they all disappeared. So before we'd heard the, on the news, it was
0: quite apparent that it had all come to an end
2: sean king of the boot inn well diane strong works at the brook house inn also in boot
0: we know of at least two shootings close by to boot um one lady came here who was injured but but conscious and lucid and what have you and she she went off to hospital with injuries to her face um what,
2: what when you say she came here what happened i mean did she, was she brought and
0: somebody, somebody up the road um had a family came running in at first, saying that they thought somebody had been thrown out. Something had been thrown out of a car, which had hit a gentleman. Um, and then somebody else came running in, saying he's been shot. Now he went off to the campsite, which is just up the road. Um, so you'd have to ask them, I'm afraid, how he got along. Um, then obviously this other lady had um, had facial injuries, I believe through a windscreen, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, she came here and was looked after, and the police took her off to to hospital not long afterwards but she was still conscious and and walking
2: what, what was the atmosphere like
0: uh, just very tense i think there there's people coming in who'd realized that they'd come quite close to to seeing him some people had actually seen him um what
2: were they saying
0: well they said that they, i think there was a family who had who had seen him and they were um he'd left them alone effectively they'd gone up to see if he was all right because they thought he'd crashed his car and he wandered off with a gun and thankfully left them alone. And th- were they
2: tourists those people? Yes, they
0: were they were out walking. Well, I mean, so um yes, yeah, so they've, they 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 obviously had a very close run thing.
2: Journalist Matthew Connolly was camping near Boot when his family saw police helicopters overhead.
4: Even though we're on a remote campsite, there is uh, um, phone access and uh, and and people's relatives started ringing them up and m- my wife's mother had been on the phone, um, very upset, saying, have you heard the news? Have you heard the news? Um, uh, and there's a gunman on the loose who's on a shooting spree and, uh, and uh, he's very near where you are. And we were saying, what do you mean, mean very near? And they said, well, he's... Apparently um, shot someone in in a car. I mean, I don't know the facts here because we still we haven't got the media here. Um, and uh, he shot someone uh, at boot and he's walking in that area now on on his own with a gun and he's shooting at people. Well, I thought, well, OK, well, we need to start thinking about how we're going to protect ourselves, because if, if he's coming this way, then we need to. I've never done this before, but I need to start trying to protect our children from a gunman.
2: Celia McKenzie is chief executive of the Whitehaven Harbour Commission, which runs the Rum Story, that's a local tourist attraction. And she was in a meeting when police ordered everyone to remain indoors.
6: The fact that he, the guy was moving around the area of West Cumbria, I mean we only have one road in West Cumbria, with the one main road, the 595, you can either go north or you can go south. And the fact that there wasn't really much place for this guy to go, but um, he went south, which is closer towards where the Sellafield um, nuclear reprocessing plant is. And we heard that Sellafield was on lockdown as well. They have their own security forces down there. um, That You start to get a bit nervous. Um, Personally, I live down that part of the world, and I was getting extremely nervous because I have a lot of family and friends um, down there. And it was just watching it unfold. Um, And that's when you start feeling nervous because you suddenly realise that this guy was just being random. Um, He didn't have an agenda. And therefore the the spontaneity meant that anybody could be hurt. and, And as we found out... That is the case. I mean, after about sort of 40 minutes of being shut down at the room storey, things were starting to open up again. So if people wanted to leave, we opened the doors and they could come and go as they liked. The town was very, very quiet. All the buses were parked up. They weren't moving. There was no traffic around. And there were very, very few people on the streets. But one of the unfortunate things is today at 12 midday, we had the funeral of Chloe Walker, which was the young girl that was killed in the uh, tragic bus Crash last week, and so there was, you know, in a way, it had already been a very quiet town because people were going to that funeral as well.
2: Celia McKenzie. Rod Davis is landlord of a pub in Gosforth called the Gosforth Hall Inn. He says the local community in West Cumbria has been left deeply shocked by today's events.
7: Now, our housekeeper is just coming back from the store over the other side of the car park, and she heard shots. Um, we, we, then, we then found out a little while later that I mean, um, there had been a shooting just outside the village of Gosford, so at the other end of the village from us, um, now that's, uh, but we believe it's a local farmer. I mean, that's been put out in the news reports and we think we know who it is, but I'm not prepared to give a name out because we haven't, that hasn't been released yet.
2: So at that point, when you, you knew that they'd been shot, so I mean, what did you do then?
7: Well, we, um, we'd already said, you know, said nobody was leaving. You know, so you know, uh, none, none of the staff in were going to be leaving until it was sorted out. But we mean, we didn't, really expect it to come. We expected it to be contained within Whitehaven. We I must admit, it was, a, it was a shock that it, it, had come down to sea scale and then subsequently through Gosforth. Um, so we just then said, right, we'll just wait and just, what well, we did was start, thing. we were, I mean, there was a fairly good communication network set up within businesses. We, we've had this before, the floods in November. Businesses around here tend to phone each other to find out what's going on. I think, you know, things, I mean, it's not that things of this nature happen very often, ever. <laughs> so it's, but, but certainly when the floods happen in November, that worked quite well. So we pretty much just used the same method. So we were phoning around trying to find out, you know, what was, what was happening. So we would tend to get better information from ourselves. Than we do from the police.
2: I mean, you I mean you say you know. Obviously, things like this don't happen very often. I mean, it, it must have been pretty terrifying.
7: It's it's absolutely yeah. It's shocking. I mean, you, I mean, from I'm assuming you're based. Are you based down in London? You, you if you, I don't think anybody uh, they're reporting on it at the moment. I don't think anybody understands where this has happened. West Cumbria is it's the last. We we consider it as the last bastion of. Um, Rural England. It's just you know, it's the community spirit. I mean, I'm I'm a bit choked up. I think if it's, if it's the person I've we've, I've been told it is, then he's somebody who would come into my pub. I know I'm going to know them, and that's probably true of possibly the people in Seascale as well. Everybody. It's any, there's only thirty thousand people live down this strip of the coast. It's just. um, it, it still has that community spirit that, you know, you know, people talk about but doesn't really exist in many places nowadays.
2: Well, what about uh, Derek Bird himself? Do you know anything about him?
7: No, I don't. Um, I mean, the only, the, uh, no, only, only what you know, which is he's a taxi driver. Um, yeah, I mean, to get more information on him, I mean, any Whitehaven business will know him. It's that small a town. So you know anybody from you know within Whitehaven, you know any, any business there would no, would know him for sure. It's that small. It's not a town. You know there aren't that many taxi drivers.
0: From guardian.co.uk, this is Guardian Daily.
2: The Guardian's Home Affairs editor Alan Travis says today's horrific killings have echoes of previous multiple murders.
8: Well, we haven't seen uh, a mass murder on this scale since uh, the Dunblane school shooting in 1997 and before that, uh, Hungerford in uh, the end of the 1980s. So uh, it's certainly uh, something which uh, is extremely rare in Britain and uh, it certainly doesn't happen with the kind of uh, regularity that we see in America.
2: How easy is it to get hold of a gun?
8: Well, um, after... Uh, Hungerford and and after Dunblane in which 16 school children died in a a Scottish school uh, a a ban was brought in on uh, illegal handguns and that's been uh, quite effective but in a rural area like Cumbria I was looking at the figures I think there are at least 22,000 legally owned certified licensed shotguns in Cumbria alone, and there'll be about 9,000 people who have certificates to own those shotguns. So, uh, and, uh, again, it's about 1.3 million legally owned shotguns in the country as a whole. So, obviously, trying to uh, control the use of those shotguns is, uh, is, is, a, is a very difficult proposition.
2: I mean, incidents like this, I guess, just very difficult for the authorities to prevent, ultimately.
8: Well, in the sense that one lone individual who uh, runs a mock, shooting people is obviously not something that can easily be, can 't be predicted in the sense of criminology but um, interestingly, I mean there were some measures we do have the tightest gun laws in the Western world, and even after uh, Dunblane, when the police stepped up their checks on those who owned shotguns, and introduced things like home visits, there was actually, the number of shotguns that were owned in the country did fall by about a third from uh, about I think it's about eight hundred thousand uh, certificate holders to about five hundred thousand, so it, it can have some bite in that sense. But in in Cumbria, I think there were for the latest figure shown in the last year, like there were three hundred seventy new applications for shotgun licences, and only two of them were refused by the police. So uh, it's it's a broad brush thing. Interestingly, reaction amongst politicians at Westminster in the afternoon when uh, this afternoon uh, was very subdued, and it was interesting that uh, both David. Cameron and Harriet Hardman, neither of them made any attempt to start demanding instant solutions uh, as to what should be done. And uh, that was interesting. I thought that there was a period of reflection, and all David Cameron promised was a statement by the Home Secretary Tomorrow, who presumably will start to assess uh, what further measures, if any, could be needed. I
1: can confirm that the body of a gunman has been found by the police. The chief constable of Cumbria is working closely with other forces and other emergency services to ensure a coordinated response to these rapidly moving events. The Government will do everything it possibly can to help the local community and those affected and to keep the House informed. A full statement will be made to Parliament tomorrow. When lives and communities are suddenly shattered in this way, our thoughts should be with all those caught up in these tragic events, especially the families and the (laughs) friends of those killed or injured.
2: David Cameron at his first Prime Minister's questions. And now let's have more from Westminster with Michael White.
3: I'm in the House of Commons. Uh, We're just going into Prime Minister's question time, the first, of course, of the Cameron era. Uh, MPs came back later from the long weekend this week, so it's at 3 o'clock, not at 12 o'clock on Wednesday. And, of course, there is no Labour leader. Well, strictly speaking, that's not true. Harriet Harman is the leader of the Labour Party. No ifs and buts or temporaries, but we all know uh, she's not standing for the leadership. So she's filling in, uh, and I must say, uh, I think she uh, does it. Jolly well. Can
9: you give me an answer to another important issue, one that I raised with him last Tuesday about prosecuting rape? We know that it 's often only after many rapes that a defendant is finally brought to court, and it 's only at that point, often when previous victims find the courage to come forward by making rape defendants anonymous he 's going to make it harder to bring rapists rapist to justice.
1: I know the right Honourable lady cares very deeply about this issue, as do I, and the fact that rape convictions are so low in this country is a scandal, and we need to improve on that. That means working with the police and also doing more to help rape victims, including backing rape crisis centres. On the issue of anonymity, I sat on the Home Affairs Select Committee that examined this issue. It was, of course, a committee in the last Parliament dominated by Labour members, very ably chaired um, by uh, by Chris Mullin, we came to the conclusion that there was a case for saying that between uh, arrest and charge there was a case for anonymity. The coalition agreement mentions this issue of anonymity and we will, of course, be bringing forward forward proposals which the House can then examine and debate.
9: Well, I I welcome his recognition of that first point but doesn't he also recognise that to single out rape, which is what he's proposing to do, to single out rape defendants sends a very powerful message to jury in rape cases, that the rape victim is not to be believed. And it sends a devastating message to rape victims that uniquely, of all victims, they are not to be believed.
3: Harriet Harman there. She wasn't the first question. That's always taken by a backbencher, the one who gets first in the queue. And this time it was uh, Douglas Carswell, kamikaze Carswell, as I sometimes call him. The very right-wing, libertarian Tory MP for Harwich out in Essex. I suspect privately he's a Republican, but listen to this. First question tries to put the PM on the spot on another of his big causes. No, not a right-wing cause, you might think. Direct election to the House of Lords.
10: Douglas Carswell. Mr Speaker... All parties in this House will welcome the Coalition's proposals to eliminate quangos and to shift power away from unelected functionaries to elected representatives. The biggest quango of the lot is, of course, the other place, a legislative chamber largely appointed by the Executive. Will my Right Honourable Friend confirm that he will bring forward proposals in the next 12 months
1: to make all our lawmakers accountable through the ballot box?
4: Yeah. Thank you.
1: Um, Well, I'm grateful, to my honourable friend, for asking that question. I don't always give him... uh, (laughs) I am genuine... I don't always give him answers that make him happy, but this time I can. There will be a draft motion by December which the House can vote on. Of
3: course, it wasn't all high-minded. There were one or two occasions when David Cameron slipped in a bit of the old David Cameron, a sort of cheap party point at the expense of the opposition. Just listen to this tease.
1: (laughs) Um, My honourable friend makes a good point. In addition, I can say we've discovered... £320 million being spent on hotels, £1.5 billion on consultants, and one which, I have to say, did really amaze me. One department spent over £140 per person on cut flowers and pot plants. Perhaps we can have a lottery to find out which one.
3: And you'll not be surprised to hear that later on in the press gallery that the Tory press officers were being asked about, not the serious stuff of the day, but which department it was which spent... All that money on the flowers, I can exclusively reveal. It was the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. And all the facts are in Hansard, say those Tory sources. Of course, there's no Nick Clegg anymore to ask the third party's questions uh, after the leader of the opposition, because he's in the government. He was sitting there next to the prime minister, rather silent throughout all that. That's one of the unresolved tensions. He's going to get his own question time, as John Prescott used to, Lord Prescott, as he's just become, uh, used to do. Well, question time is over. MPs, most of them, have stayed behind here. William Haig's statement on the Gaza crisis fires up a lot of people, that subject, on both sides of the argument. Uh, So, House still crowded, but MPs are drifting away. We've moved to Portcullis House. Let's see who we can find. Ah, oh, we're in luck. Uh, Ken Clark, the new Justice Secretary, is heading our way. Well, Ken Clark, you must have seen <laughs> hundreds of sessions of Prime Minister's Question Time. Did you see it today? What did you think?
11: I sat through it. I got there early. Uh, it was packed, well behaved, quite extraordinarily. On I both thought it was sides? Very impressive. On both sides, yes. I, I I, mean, it was, there was some cheery. One almost hoped it wouldn't be conducted in total silence. Uh, but I think the public would appreciate the altogether better behaviour of everybody. Now, whether it will last, uh, whether this was just new members overawed by these extraordinary surroundings I don't know I I hope it doesn't become a totally dull occasion but I thought that was uh, a a good start because it was getting in the last parliament a bit like a zoo in there and it detracts people's attention from serious political exchanges we had a few of those
3: you did but David Cameron was quite good at the zoo stuff And like many politicians he deplored it while doing it rather well when he was leader of the opposition well, it, it, up to a point,
11: that's fine, because what really the leader of the opposition and the Prime Minister are trying to show is they're still alert, they've got full of vigour, they're aggressive, they can uh, think on their feet and all the rest of it, and it's a kind of weekly way of touching base with whether they're on top of their job and their animal spirits are still there. But that has in recent years been taken to absurdity, and uh, given it's televised, the public sometimes look at these changes of Prime Minister's question time with total dismay. I must admit... Being a, an old hand who'd seen things get Elected more noisy, 1970, uh, for those who don't know. Absolutely, it's got noisier over the years. I was positively surprised by the restraint in a packed chamber.
3: Now, let's find an opposition uh, of you. Ah, Here's Andrew Miller, MP for Ellesmere Port. Andrew Miller.
10: I, I think this was a uh, deliberate ploy on the part of uh, Cameron to try and make it look different. Uh, I have my severe doubts as to whether it will last.
3: Meaning that uh, he was being excessively polite, courteous to new members, not making cheap party points most of the time. He made a couple, but not many. That sort of thing. Or is he just naturally uh, an old Etonium?
10: I think uh, the anger that we're familiar with when he was in combat with uh, Gordon Brown will start to emerge. Uh, I think uh, the other interesting point was his uh, failure to recognise um, some of the Liberal Democrats as his honourable friends. I think some of them are certainly not his honourable friends. Oh, I missed that.
3: Yeah. He was a bit waspish to Douglas Carswell, one of those right-wing troublemakers, the man who asked the first question.
10: I, I think uh, both uh, Douglas and, uh, was it uh, Philip Hollerbone towards yes, the end... Yes. Uh, he's going to struggle with, I think... um, That's uh, the opposition on his own side, uh, it's not you lot. Well, I mean, uh, we might as well allow the um, internal opposition to do its damage um, because um, that's uh, quite a useful tool in our armoury. What do you think about Harriet Harman? I think Harriet is doing a superb job in very difficult circumstances and uh, she's certainly gone up in my estimation the way she's handled in... uh, in a very responsible way, this, this difficult period for the Labour Party.
3: She had a checklist, didn't she? She had Gaza, of course, and she had uh, uh, the question of anonymity for rape accusees, which the uh, uh, coalition has put up, and the third one was, what was it again? Oh, it was the marriage tax allowance. Very Harriet combination,
10: really. Oh, oh very Harriet, And uh, but uh, I, th- I think the Labour Party generally um, was very supportive of the point she made on on rape victims because i just think that uh, yeah, uh, the report so yeah. yeah the report that uh, the prime minister relied on um, made by the home affairs select committee uh hasn't really got to grips with what is a very, very difficult area. And I think uh, uh, Harriet's expertise is is recognised on all sides of the House on this subject.
3: So you expect Prime Minister's question to time to be as lofty as this throughout, or we think it'll
10: deteriorate, do we? I, I think um, that the nature of the place, the nature of the chamber, forces it uh, into a combative style uh, of exchange, and uh, I can't see the... Uh, the love in continuing for terribly long.
3: Well, it happens this way sometimes. I thought question time was subdued, not for the reason that any of the MPs you've just heard uh, mentioned, but because roll call of the dead from Afghanistan, uh, uh, of course, as usual, but also the unfolding drama. Five deaths or more to which David Cameron alluded uh, in Cumbria. And that sobers people up, as it does in uh, communities up and down the country. We all think, there but for the grace, it could happen to us. So uh, a quiet start to uh, Parliament. A lot going on. Repercussion of the David Laws affair. Less sympathy for David Laws than uh, you might expect for fellow MPs. They think they're all a bit self-righteous, those Lib Dems. Quite a lot of animosity towards the Lib Dems coming from both directions. One to watch. Let's see how it unfolds. False. This is Mike White at Westminster.
2: Thanks, Mike. Well, today's edition of Guardian Daily was produced by Andy Duckworth and in Westminster, Phil Maynard. My name's John Dennis. Thank you for listening.
0: For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk/audio.